Into the Weird, Episode 9. We'll grieve together later. Welcome to Into the Weird, Ghost Rider number one. How are you doing today, Herman? I'm fine, Billy. Thanks, man. Um, it's raining cats and dogs out here. I, I know you expressed some similar weather conditions <laughs> earlier when we talked. Um, I hope, listeners, it won't affect your listening pleasure. But yeah, it's raining pretty hard out here. Um, how, how about over there, Billy? <laughs> yeah, it's raining off and on, uh, but I almost thought I was going to be, uh, you know, have a Thor moment and be struck by lightning when I was taking out my trash earlier. Jeez. Okay, no, that's much worse than it is over <laughs> here. Here it's coming down in, in sheets of lead, but it's definitely no, no thunder or no lightning. That's scary, man. Someone pissed off the God of Thunder for sure today. Yeah. Yeah, Thor's not happy about something. Maybe maybe Sif turned him away or something. <laughs> or in, in, in modern day, it's She-Hulk. <laughs> That's yes, his squeeze. Yes, <laughs> so, Billy, as you mentioned, we're going to be talking about Ghost Rider number one. Um, listeners, normally, as you know, we do a Doctor Strange episode every other episode. But the previous show we did was all about Marvel's um, Avengers Endgame movie. So that's why that doesn't really count. We're not going to do a Doctor Strange episode this week. The next show we do will, in fact, cover more of the adventures of Stephen Strange in Marvel premiere. But right now we're going to focus on another staple of the 1970s Marvel um, comic book, uh, at least in the super horror, uh, supernatural genre of Marvel that they got going in the early 70s, and that is Ghost Rider. So, Billy, he's definitely an important part of that, those early um, horror characters that Marvel had. I'm sure you oh, would yeah, agree. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He was, uh, I think he's gone through some rough years, you know, but in the 70s, I think he uh, he, he shined brightest. And then in the 80s, he was kind of like, eh, you know, I don't say he disappeared for a while, but he was really more of a, a second tier character. And then in the 90s, of course, there was, you know, a reimagining of the character and a bit of a, a little explosion there, but uh, I, I personally love Johnny Blaze. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Johnny Blaze has always been my Ghost Rider, and um, I think before we start talking um, about the issue proper, we could uh, quickly give the listeners a bit of a rundown on the history we have with the character, the per our personal histories with him. Uh, do you want to go first, Billy? Like, how did you first encounter the Ghost Rider and and the comics? 
the first time I ever encountered Ghost Rider was definitely in comics. It wasn't on any other kind of uh, media. Hmm. And it was in um, the 90s. But, of course, it wasn't the Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider. It was the Danny Ketch Ghost Rider. And I did not really care for him all that much, uh, to be honest. But it got me thinking. You know, there was talk of, you know, a previous Ghost Rider. And I thought, oh, well, who was that guy? And it got me to go backwards and uh, look at some Marvel Spotlight issues. I think I bought an Essential, a Marvel Marvel Horror Essential, you know, those big, thick, oversized trays oh, paperbacks yeah. with the black and white. And I read those issues of Marvel Spotlight, and I loved them. That's when I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to really like this character. So that was definitely it for me. Yeah, no, no, no. That's a that's a good way to get into him. First, you encounter a side of Ghost Rider you didn't like, and then you thought about it. Come on, there was a Ghost Rider before this, wasn't there? So you went to do some research, Billy, and you eventually got to the real Ghost Rider. <laughs> yep. But this is funny. We shouldn't actually say real, real Ghost Rider, because actually the Marvel Ghost Rider <laughs> was based off of a 1950s character um, who was mm-hmm. a cowboy-like figure called yeah, the Ghost Western, Rider. Yeah. yeah, he was a Western yeah. character. And then eventually... Um, the company that published him, uh, th- their copyright on him lapsed, and then Marvel took up the name of the Ghost Rider. Um, but Dick Ayers, who was the co-creator on the original Western-style Ghost Rider, he was um, at Marvel at the time when I think it was 1967 when they again published the Western Ghost Rider. So he was fine with it as a co-creator of the original character. So he signed mm-hmm. off on that. You know, Marvel. Uh, took over the character and then that didn't do so well even though Gary Friedrich was also the writer on that old Ghost Rider from 1967 and then eventually they reimagined the character Gary Friedrich, Roy Thomas and um, I think it was Mike Plug in mm-hmm. uh, 1971 now that's where some uh, there was some controversy about that recently Billy I think up until 10 years ago when Gary Friedrich sued Marvel for the rights of the Ghost Rider character <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know we'll get into that more later. Everybody remembers it differently. Gary Friedrich says he designed the look of the Ghost Rider, or he came up with the look of the flaming skull uh, and the motorcycle rider. Whereas Mike Plug and Roy Thomas think, you know, they say they designed uh, the flaming skull and the iconic look, because neither of the two parties could claim that they came up with the name, since it was Dick Ayers's character from the 1950s who. Uh, supported the original moniker of the Ghost Rider. So, interesting, Billy, a bit of uh, comic book controversy surrounding the Ghost Rider. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's uh, no lack of comic book controversy from the Silver and Bronze Age. It's just it's the way it was, you know. Nobody seems to get the credit they deserved or want to give credit to somebody else. But, you know, hey, anyway, we got a, a really good character out of it, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm I mean, those guys are involved. Yeah, for, I I didn't know about any of this. Of course, this only came to light after the Ghost Rider movie was released in 2007. But you know, when I was a kid, I uh, encountered Ghost Rider in 1982. I know this because you know, I've still got the original issues that I bought, and um, it was about around Ghost Rider number 68. I think was my first issue, and then I uh, bought it all the way through to its conclusion in 1983. The the year after that. Um, and I think the artist back then when I first encountered Ghost Rider was Bob Bediansky and the writer, mm-hmm. writer was Roger Stern but then you know eventually the writer became Michael Fleischer again and mm-hmm. um, and then Don Perlin the old Ghost Rider artist um, came back and he did you know more issues but eventually it became Bob Bediansky, 
Baryansky again. Ooh, difficult name yeah. to pronounce. But you know, so yeah, that is one. Yeah, <laughs> that is a I, tough one. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, Billy. I did a, a show on one of my favorite Ghostwriter comics, which was a standalone issue in, on the Long yep. Box of Darkness, um, my other podcast. Yep, I remember it. Yeah, that was Ghostwriter yep. number 70. That was the first one I remember making a real impact on me. But I had been buying Ghostwriter two issues prior to that issue. But um, wow, that comic really shook me. So ever since that comic, I would say Ghost Rider issue number 70, where he deals with these malformed circus performers. Ever since then, I've been a fan of the character. And I was devastated when just a year later, right after I started collecting it in 1983, suddenly the comic book, you know, concluded. And it did conclude satisfyingly. It's just um, I was sad that we wouldn't see more of Johnny Blaze. But then, you know, I went back issue hunting and I sort of filled up my Ghost Rider run. Um, over the years which wasn't too difficult back then because everything was cheap and uh, you know there were only about 80 80 odd issues that I needed mm-hmm. at that time yeah so that's my history with the Ghost Rider but a great character Billy I, I think you everybody would agree he's very interesting and he has kind of this Hulk dynamic going where you know he's someone who's pos- becomes a monster he's possessed by this Jekyll and Hyde style um, of um situation where he needs well in the beginning it wasn't like that but it became something like that where the demon Zarathos that's linked to his soul would take over and then it's completely out of Johnny Blaze's control he he at times doesn't even know what he's doing and I like that I like that it was different from the Hulk you know um this was more of a force of nature for me the Ghost Rider when when Johnny Blaze became him yeah yeah for sure they I mean they've messed around with his origin and power slightly you know depending on the writer and all that but he's like you say he's a good character and the fact that you know johnny blaze at times can't control it or you know the 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 aspect there's always the angle of you know his the the love of his life and can't be with her and a lot of those tropes marvel used in the silver and bronze ages but I, i think they work very well it's a very you know i love the way he looks the look of the ghost rider no matter like you said if it's budiansky or Don Perlin or whomever, or your your best friend Gil Kane, you know. We... <laughs> oh, I love that. It's man. a good aesthetic. I, I love the aesthetic. Love the way the Ghost Rider looks. Love it. Yeah, no, you're right. I think Gil Kane did. Uh, there was a while where he did a lot of Ghost, Ghost Rider covers, and you know, I didn't mind that. You know, uh, like uh, we've discussed before, Billy, when Gil Kane does covers, I quite mm-hmm. enjoy his his, um, his layouts and his ideas behind every every cover. But, you know, yeah. it's his interiors that bug me. But, you know, I don't mind his uh, rendition of Ghost Rider. He's, he does that quite well. But I think the, the guys, the two guys we might be talking about in terms of art today more than we would be talking about Perlin and those guys would be Mike Plug and Tom Sutton. Mm-hmm. Because they're prevalent on these early issues of Ghost Rider. In fact, the, the issue that we're going to be talking about is all Tom Sutton's art. And he's one of my favorite horror comic illustrators. Um, how do you mm-hmm. feel about Tom Sutton's art, Billy? Oh, I love it. And I'll tell you what, it, he it has, you know, done some different things during his uh, comic book career. Like if you look at this book we're going to be talking about here in a minute, everything's very uh, clean and has that Marvel style to it. Yeah. Um, now, of course, there was a, you know, Sid Shores was the inker, but um, when Tom Sutton is left to, to do like the pencils and inks himself, he does some very, uh, 
I don't know if frightening is the word, but really scary horror stuff. Some of the stuff he's done for Charlton is really mm. creepy. Mm. Really no, I creepy. I agree. Yeah, I first encountered him on the Charlton comics, you know, like the, the mm-hmm. many ghosts of Dr. Graves and, and Baron yes. Werewolf and those things. And, you know, he did a, a frightening amount of work for them. And then he also did some creepy and eerie, you know, stories for the Warren publications, but they weren't easily available when I was a kid, Billy. I only, you know, found them much later on. But it was definitely his stuff on the Charlton horror line that got me into Tom Sutton's stuff. He, he had that series called Creepy Things, too. Uh, I think yeah. that it only ran six issues, and I f- was lucky to find all six of those issues in a bunch when I went, you know, back issue Ben Diming uh, as a kid. And, you know, he, he was such a... A talented illustrator, but also unique. You know, you can't, you'd be hard pressed to find someone else to compare him to. But, you know, Mike Plug comes close. I find they have a similar style, you know, but um, I wouldn't say that, I mean, you won't ever mix up their two art styles. You, when you see Sutton, no. you know that's Sutton. When you see Plug, you know it's Plug. But, you know, it's, it's funny that the, the two of them were the main illustrators on the Ghost Rider title in the very beginning. And we're talking here Marvel Spotlight era, right, Billy? I mean, the first appearance of Ghost Rider was in Marvel Spotlight number five. And that was Mm -hmm. in August of 1971. And then the issue we're going to be talking about is Ghost Rider number one, which was from September 1973. And so obviously you have to infer that the reason they gave him his own series is because he did so well on the Spotlight title that there were mm-hmm. so many readers clamoring to get more Ghost Rider, so eventually they gave him his own series. And yeah, um, again, sure. written by Gary Friedrich. And then, um, even though Mike Plug had done most of the art on the first four issues of the Marvel Spotlight run of Ghost Rider, eventually Tom Sutton came in and did the last two issues of Marvel Spotlight. And then he continued on with the Ghost Rider proper series. Like, Ghost Rider number one has Tom Sutton art. Right, Billy? Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy about that because, um, you know, I love his art. Even though the story leaves much to be desired, I'm sure you agree. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the art is what really did it for me on Ghost Rider number one. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and back to Tom Sutton and Charlton. Oh, my gosh. One of the covers, and I saw it when I was younger, and it freaked me out. And I bought it just a few years ago. A cover where it shows like a faraway shot. And it shows a hooded man with like an executioner, and there's this giant guillotine, and the part where it chops the head off is bloody. It's like a bloody mess. It's like the freakiest thing you'd ever see. I was How like, did they get Holy that part? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe it. But I saw it. I'm like, oh, that is so cool. I have to have that. that that's easily my favorite Tom Sutton cover. <laughs> oh man, was that that was on? Uh, which title was that on? Was that on Ghost Rider? No, 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 no. That was, was on the Charlton. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that wouldn't be. I was <laughs> just thinking, wow. Oh, my gosh. That, it's that's the craziest. Even oh. that would have been too much for Marvel <laughs> in the early 70s. You know, that's more easy <laughs> fare from the 90s. But Charlton, yeah, they, they did often went that way. You know, um, like the, the magazine Psycho and Skywald and Char- Charlton, you know, they, even though Charlton wasn't doing it on magazines, they would sort of push the envelope a little bit earlier than Marvel and DC did. You know, because they probably weren't in the spotlight that much. But, yeah, I would expect that from them. <laughs> so, yeah, just ignore my question that this this would have been a Marvel comic. That's impossible, even this early on. They but, Yeah, they didn't have the balls to do that. No, no, no not yet. They would grow nope. some heavy balls later on. But 
So, Billy, I think, I mean, that's our rundown on the Ghost Rider. I just quickly want to tell the listeners the story up to this point leading up to Ghost Rider number one because it doesn't start completely fresh. It sort of carries over from um, Marvel Spotlight number 11, which was the final appearance of Ghost Rider in that title. Basically, Johnny Blaze's origin story stays the same as it would in the movie, except for the fact that, you know, his dad, Barton Blaze, died very early on. Um, and this is all from Marvel Spotlight number five. He died in a stunt cycling accident. He was a stunt cyclist, um, uh, like Evil Knievel, and you know that's obviously what what um, initiated the creation of the Ghost Rider, at least in the early seventies, is the popularity of people like Evil Knievel and other stunt bikers. And um, then you know Barton Blaze was one of those guys. He died in an accident, and then Johnny was left an orphan, and then. Um, Crash Simpson and his young daughter Roxanne Simpson also working for the carnival that the stunt cycle show was a part of they took him in um, and effectively adopted him and he became a part of their family and um, he he had a fear of uh, motorcycles in his early days which they didn't show in the movie or in any subsequent retellings of the origin right Billy Mm -hmm. he he was scared because he had seen his dad die so um, he decided to eventually face his fears by practicing in secret, and he became um, a very prolific, or, or not prolific, I should say, very a phenomenal um, uh, driver, uh, rider, I should say. And then, you know, eventually Roxanne found out that he had these skills, and she sort of almost guilted him into trying to ride for the show, but he still didn't want to. And then um, it was her father, Crash Simpson who, in fact, um, was suffering from a disease. Much, uh, uh, It's similar to the movie, but there it was his dad suffering from cancer. And then Johnny, for this is wild. This could only happen in the 70s, right, Billy? <laughs> the stunt cycle driver, or mechanic as he was at the time, suddenly grabs a whole library full of books and grimoires and uh, full of satanic rituals and he starts <laughs> calling up demons <laughs> and it was in these early issues that he made a bet with or he made a deal with satan you know uh, later on it would be retconned to be mephisto but he called up satan himself and then asked satan to spare the life of uh, crash simpson and of course as we all know if you've seen the movie um, Satan does do that. He does spare his life from the cancer, but he in fact you know, causes Crash to die in a motorcycle stunt. You know, just a few days later, <laughs> after they had received the all clear from the doctor. So that part's similar, except in the movie, of course, it was Johnny's father who under they they just skipped the middleman basically. You know, it was yeah. Barton Blaze from the beginning in the movie. And I, I think that would have been easier. But you know, it gave you a bit of uh, insight into Johnny's character that they had this part of the origin where mm-hmm. he feared motorcycles because of his dad dying. Whoa, there was just a massive clap of thunder out here, Billy. I, so I guess yeah, I did you hear it. that? Yeah, Thor's pissed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's pissed but they, but that we're discussing the ghost rider and not him. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to him <laughs> we'll, eventually. We'll definitely get there. There were some weird <laughs> mighty Thor issues mm-hmm. uh, in the 70s. Anyway, so then, you know, um, it follows the same course. You know, Johnny was, you know, the, his deal with the devil required him to become a demon uh, or become possessed by a demon every night. And that's something they didn't keep, uh, Billy. That's something the Hulk also had in the 60s where when night falls, he would change into the Hulk 
Mm-hmm. And the Ghost Rider had that same kind of effect. You know, when night fell, he was compelled to become the demon. Uh, but, you know, the early Ghost Rider stories, Billy, even throughout the Marvel Spotlight run and in the early issues of the, the title, he was in full control of the Ghost Rider. He became a supernatural being, but he was still Johnny Blaze. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, was that, only much less. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. That was good. I'm glad they did that. And like you said too early about the, you know, the differences between the actual comic book origin and the movie. And I, I'm glad I like the comic book origin much better because it gave uh, Johnny Blaze, his character, so much more depth, you know? Yeah, exactly. It was more lengthy, but um, definitely gave more character focus to the mm-hmm. reader. But, you know, the fact that the early Ghost Rider was still Johnny Blaze, I. You know, eventually, like I said, when I started reading Ghost Rider, it was all dual personality Ghost Rider. It wasn't uh, Johnny Blaze in full control. But the early issues had him actually becoming a stunt cycle driver with the face of the Ghost Rider. I mean, he even he was even billed as Johnny Blaze, the Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. And where, where billboards would sport his full look of the flaming skull that he had. And everybody would think, oh, it's a skull mask he wears with some special effects. and that was crazy but you know that doesn't uh, detract from my enjoyment of these early issues I mean how do you feel about that Billy the fact that the early Ghost Rider was Johnny Blaze with the powers of of a demon whereas the later issues became Johnny Blaze completely being subsumed by the personality of Zarathos the demon I I prefer him to still you know have his full intelligence when he's when he's a ghost rider i do i mean not that the other material is bad or anything like that it's very good and enjoyable as well but i like when he's now hey it's okay every once in a while they have a story where okay you know he's you know something happens and he's he loses control i'm okay with that for a storyline here or there but overall i'd rather him just you know still be able to uh you know be the be more of a He's like, you know, a supernatural character, but with a superhero, you know, bend to him as well. Yeah. Okay. No, I agree. Okay. So, well, I'm, I'm, I should say I don't agree. I'm, I like the one, uh, you know, where he's uh, two separate personalities more. But I do agree with you when it's Johnny Blaze himself, you get more of a look into his character, even when he's the Ghost Rider. So that part still appeals to me. I don't hate it. I don't dislike it. But um, then, Billy, I think we should just quickly wrap up what happened in the Marvel Spotlight story because it bears mentioning, since this first issue of The Ghost Rider has some of those story elements present, basically, during that Marvel Spotlight run, he encounters lots of supernatural enemies, mostly fueled by Satan, who wants his soul. Because after you know um, the death of Crash Simpson... Uh, Johnny Blaze sort of reneged. He didn't want to give his soul to Satan because he saw Satan as having broken the deal. Even though he was at the powers of the Ghost Ghost Rider, he didn't want to follow the commands of Satan. So he was sort of always on the run, and Satan sent various supernatural enemies after him. But there was also a few issues where he seemed that that his main protagonists seemed to be Native Americans. <laughs> I mean, you had a sorceress <laughs> called Witch Woman who was after his hide. You had an Indian medicine man called Snake Dance. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I don't know what Gary Friedrich had against these guys, but basically all the, the evil antagonists were Native Americans. And even in this issue, to an extent, right, Billy, the first mm-hmm. issue of the, the Ghost Rider title, it's um, Satan possessing the body of a Native American um, witch woman. 
her name was in fact Witch Woman. <laughs> that was her name. <laughs> like Wonder Woman's name is Wonder Woman. She had the 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 double W of Witch Woman. <laughs> so I mean that's where we pick off, Billy. We we uh, or should I say where we pick up the story? Um, in the the end of the Marvel Spotlight run, Roxanne Simpson was in the hospital. She had been bitten by a snake dance's viper, one of his vipers. And, you know, Johnny Blaze had gotten her the, the serum in time, the, the cure to the snake bite, but she was still in the hospital. And um, basically we got introduced to Bart Slade, who runs the carnival and the motorcycle show. And he's constantly on Johnny Blaze's case because Johnny's disappearing all the time and he's not doing performing his stunts, which which isn't bringing in the money from the crowd. And, and yeah, Johnny's uh, always riding around looking for you know, to help Roxanne, but also fighting off these supernatural Indians, uh, the supernatural Native Americans, I should say, um, because Satan's sending them or lending them power in order to get Johnny Blaze back under his wing. So that's basically where this story of Ghost Rider number one picks up, right, Billy? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Gary Friedrich probably thought, um, you know, the Native American angle there was more about... um, a lot of the, you know, uh, I don't know if mysticism is the right word, but a lot of their, um, you know, folklore and things like that is uh, is very interesting. And I think it mm. kind of, it was a good, uh, a good angle to bring in for the Ghost Rider there for, the, for a few stories, you know, not to be like, you know, like saying it's evil or anything like that, but you know, they have a lot of different things about their, like, you know, religious life and things like that that, you know, are very, uh, they fit well in the times that these stories and the angles that all those writers back then were going for. So I think yeah. that's probably what he was going for there. Yeah, well, I mean, this was, again, what we discussed in previous episodes. Of, this was in the era of Satan is cool kind of thing. Even though that's not what most Christians believed, it was like in in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Uh, if you used Satan as the antagonist in your movie or in your novel, like we're talking here, Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. and um, eventually The Exorcist to an extent, mm-hmm. then you know it sold. It it you know it brought in the audiences. It it made a splash uh, commercially. Yeah. So, you know, that's what they were sort of going for here, I think. And rightly so, because Marvel was very good at putting their, their fingers on the pulse, on the, on the vein of the times. You know, the, the zeitgeist, they were very good at reading what the public wanted, and then they would follow suit. So this is Gary Friedrich, and, and probably the editor, Roy Thomas, had, had a hand in this, saying that, okay, this is what people want to see. This is what they like. Let's give it to them. Let's give them more Satan. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, they weren't, they were no dummies. They knew what was going on, you know, with uh, television and film. And they were like, yep, that's what we're going to do. And it's, it's sold books. You know what I mean? And that's what they're, that's what they're there for. <laughs> that's right. So, Billy, before we get into the discussion of uh, the first issue itself, I think you're going to give us a quick synopsis and then we'll, we'll talk some more because there's definitely later on going to be the, a day, de- the debut of a character I think both of us love mm-hmm. who's, uh, also sort of occupying a supernatural niche in the mm-hmm. Marvel 70s era. And we're going to be talking about him a lot more um, uh, on Into the Weird later on. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that, Billy. First, we'll we'll give the listeners a quick rundown on what they can expect in this issue. Absolutely. Okay, so the issue begins with a figure standing in front of a grave. The name on the tombstone reads Victoria Hellstrom, and the person 
places a cross on the grave. The next scene shows stunt cyclist Johnny Blaze tearing down a roadway and reflecting on the recent events and how his lifelong love, Roxanne Simpson, has been hospitalized due to a snake bite. He approaches a roadblock but won't stop. As he busts through, the police open fire and shoot him. He crashes his motorcycle and is unconscious. We next look in on a reservation and see that a young woman is apparently possessed by a demon. The two men that are at her bedside seem extremely worried. Back over at the hospital, not only is Roxanne trying to recover from her snake bites, but now Johnny Blaze is there as well after his accident and getting shot, barely hanging on to life. Meanwhile, the road manager for the, sh for the stunt show, Bart Slade, is hitting on Roxanne. <laughs> <laughs> Over at the reservation, the possessed girl seems to be getting worse. So, Mr. Silvercloud calls a number he saw in a newspaper for a man that states he can exercise demons. And, you know, Herman, I'm going to stop there just because there's a couple of more things that happen. And, you know, I don't know how far we want to get into, uh, you know, the, the, the secret mm. guest that's going to be occupying the, the book for the next few issues then. But, uh, you know, we can get good into call, that in a little bit if we want, though. But we might want to keep that a secret. <laughs> yeah, till till the end. That's a good call. No, I agree. Excellent synopsis there because that sort of sets up the story. Um, and, Billy, I have to admit, this story doesn't do a lot. I mean, it's it's a good introduction to Johnny Blaze as a character in terms of his motorcycle skills, in terms of him being the ghost rider. It's not a coherent story, though. It doesn't no. seem to be going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the script is fine. You know, no no knock on Gary uh, Friedrich for that, the script itself. But the actual story, like I said, from beginning to end, it really doesn't go a lot of places. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't make you think, oh, boy, you know, other than the one little guest appearance there in Shadow, it doesn't get you thinking, you know, wow, I can't wait for the next issue. It really doesn't push you forward. That's right. Essentially, it's just Johnny Blaze tearing down a road and then he gets shot by a couple of cops and he's brought to the same hospital where Roxanne is. And then night falls, he becomes the ghost rider mm -hmm. and then, you know, he leaves. And that that's basically it. And then the second story is told girl linda little trees the native mm -hmm. american girl yeah um who's being uh possessed by satan who you know wants to uh use her body to access the mortal realm in order to find johnny blaze and claim his soul and uh you know i i do like those scenes with linda little trees where she's tied to this bed by yeah. her family members no less mm -hmm. exorcist style and then Satan appears as this giant flaming demon, and the whole bed is aflame. Yes. And there's some pretty good horror scenes in this comic book. Uh, and I love the way Tom Sutton draws Linda uh, Little Tree. She's very alluring, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you can see the emotions in her face. She literally becomes a demon just through her facial expressions when Satan possesses her. And then you've got a couple of very boring hospital scenes of Johnny Blaze, and we find out something though. We find out that when he's he's been severely injured in the crash, but when he transformed into transforms into the Ghost Rider, his injuries disappear. Right. So that's that's interesting to note. And then he he hops a taxi <laughs> <laughs> to 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 meet up to rendezvous with Roxanne and Bart Slade because he knows that 
he's supposed to be making this jump across a canyon, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. And uh, he knows that if he's not there to do this, the stunt cycle show will fail because there's so many people who turned out to see someone jump this gorge. Yeah. Um, and then Bart Slade is going to make the attempt. Johnny just knows that. So he hightails it out of the hospital in a taxi <laughs> just to stop Bart Slade from doing that because he knows that he can't make it. So way to go there, Johnny, having faith in your partner, Bart Slade. Yeah. But he, t- he turns out to be right, right, Billy? I mean, a, a freak gust of wind sort of, uh, you know, comes and smashes Bart Slade against the canyon wall. He's plastered and... yeah. Um, we knew that was going to happen. Yeah, Bart's so not that's, with us anymore. <laughs> yeah, exit Bart Slade. <laughs> there goes that love triangle. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, it, it seemed to be going well there for Bart for a while because, I mean, Roxanne actually kisses him just mm-hmm. before he, he makes the attempt. And yeah. then, you know, he's definitely, like you say, he definitely hit, hits on Roxanne. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, but that that's it for him. He's gone and... Um, there's this very, I think, well done to Tom Sutton. The scenes that leads up to Bart's death, where he's he's airborne, he's just cleared the ramp, and he's flying over the uh, over the canyon. Those scenes are definitely fraught with some kind of, um, you know, uh, real fear on the part of the uh, onlookers that that are being drawn on the part of us as the readers. I really felt mm-hmm. like a, a, a high level of anxiety there. And then eventually, yeah. you know, you've got this excellent panel of Roxanne screaming. She's still being accompanied by her nurse from the hospital who's <laughs> pushing her around in this wheelchair. And there's this brilliant panel. I think it's on page 25, Billy, where Roxanne sees that Bart's not going to make it. And she's screaming, no! <laughs> and even the nurse, the nurse behind her, her face looks like she's seen, well, a ghost. <laughs> Oh man, well, that, that... and it's not it's it's not night nurse either, people. It's just some old. old oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You like... would expect yeah, you would expect every nurse that turns up in Marvel seventies to be night nurse, wouldn't you? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. I mean, come on. Hubba hubba. <laughs> no, no, I yeah, shouldn't say absolutely. that. Absolutely. Night nurse, a very attractive lady. I've always had a thing for her. Mm-hmm. But you know, then this there's this panel of Bart dying. Kerwoom. And he explodes, mm-hmm. dies a fiery death, and then Ghost Rider turns up too late. And Billy, you send me this panel over Twitter where Ghost Rider turns up to mourn <laughs> with Roxanne. <laughs> what? What was Sutton that, and, and well, Friedrich that, thinking there? That, that's, that's going to be uh, my Mighty Marvel misstep there, so I'll address that later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't jump the gun on that one. But man, that was a weird panel. Listeners, oh. be patient. We'll get to that one. But essentially, mm. Ghost Rider turns up too late, and then he has to make a run for it with Roxanne in tow because the cops turn up. Because after all, he's a wanted man. He crashed mm-hmm. through a roadblock earlier, and that's what led to him being shot by the cops. And, you know, Billy, to go back to the beginning of the issue, that that scene was well drawn by Tom Sutton, too, when we see Johnny Blaze break, breaking through the roadblock. But it looks yeah. like he kills a couple of cops doing it. I mean, <laughs> do you see what I mean? Like that one officer looks like he's been hit by the, mm-hmm. the, the cycle at what? Close to 100 miles an hour because he's crashing through this roadblock and you, you've got this one officer flying backwards. It looks like he's been hit dead on. <clears throat> yeah. And um, 
Yeah, but luckily it turns out they're all fine. And then, you know, Johnny gets blasted off his bike. But um, yeah, so that's why the cops are looking for him. And that's why he has to sort of essentially kidnap Roxanne, who's fainted, <laughs> right? She's fainted. <laughs> Obviously, she hasn't recovered from the snake bite yet. So, you know. Mm, oh, my gosh. I mean, you're, you earlier, though, you said about the, the, the panel of the entire story for me, just because of the humor alone. When Ghost Rider <laughs> needs to get to the jump, and I guess it's not at the point yet where he can mentally summon his bike, but he gets in the taxi cab, and he just immediately gets in and points at the driver and says, "Ask no questions, mortal. Merely yeah. take me to Copperhead Canyon. I am to jump it tonight on a motorcycle." <laughs> <laughs> and the taxi driver says, "Hey, you're Johnny Blaze. Just cool it with a spooky voice." <laughs> <laughs> oh it's just ridiculous i love it that's oh, it's my man. favorite panel just the humor is just off the charts so. <clears throat> yeah that is crazy like you say this is before he could summon summon the hell cycle made of yeah. hellfire he still had the powers of hellfire he projects it often enough you know whenever it suits mm -hmm. him most often in the form of a fiery circle but he could also you know blast hellfire out of his hands whenever he, he meets the enemy that warrants it but um, you know, Billy, I think at this point in time, like you say, he wasn't in full command of his powers yet. And later on, he at this point in time, he's just on his normal stunt cycle. Yeah. You know, all the time, which has been confiscated by the cops or, mm -hmm. or it's been wrecked in the crash. And then, you know, later on, he gets this souped up sci-fi looking motorcycle with this massive um, windshield. And yeah. that's at, at right around the time when he starts to fight the orb, oh. which is one of our favorite oh, yeah. Marvel, uh, you know, villains. Um, so, you know, gimmicky Marvel villains from the early 70s. But, you know, then he gets a souped up cycle. And then much later, he gets the power to summon a hell cycle by projecting hellfire onto the ground. And then there was the hell cycle. So, yeah, at this point in time, he, he wasn't supernaturally fast while riding the motorcycle yet. So, yeah, I don't blame him for having to take a taxi <laughs> to Copperhead Canyon. <laughs> that Whoa. is like calls back and just it's it goes right back to the last time we did talk about Doctor Strange on the show when, you know, there's all this chaos going on. And it, the next thing you know, you see him and another guy and he's eating the hot dog at the diner. <laughs> just so ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, flaming skull, demon-possessed stunt cycle rider taking a taxi. What's up with that? <laughs> and the cab driver has, like, a look of, like, surprise on them. But then, like, you know, hey, no problem. Okay, I'll drive you there. And I'm thinking, what? Who would do this? Yeah. Now, uh... Billy, look at look at page 27 now where he, you know, um, finds Roxanne in the crowd. And he mm -hmm. picks her up. And she faints. And he, you know, lifts her up from her wheelchair and takes her to this pickup truck. Now, that's another incongruous <laughs> panel. Like, he goes wider, putting Roxanne in a pickup truck and making his getaway. But, you know, something doesn't make sense there. Those final two panels, the cops are standing right next to Johnny Blaze and Roxanne. Mm -hmm. Right next to them. They're literally, like, five feet away. And and Johnny Blaze picks up <laughs> Roxanne. And this one cop points at him and says, Hey, I thought Blaze was in the hospital. There he is. And the other cop says, he must have escaped. Come on, grab him. Don't give him a chance to get away. But they're standing <laughs> right next to him. And then the next panel has Ghost Rider like 20 or 30 feet away, putting Roxanne in the pickup truck and making good on his escape. 
Yeah. <laughs> just they, the, doesn't the make police, sense. The police have spotted me. I'm thinking, yeah, no kidding. They were just five feet away from you. <laughs> yeah. And you sporting this giant flaming skull head. Oh, man, it's insane. And then the, the, that's where I have a bit of an issue with the issue, with this issue, is the, the writing, where at the, the very end, the comic book literally just ends with Ghost Rider driving away with an unconscious Roxanne in the pickup truck. And then you have this um, exorcist that's been called by uh, the Silver Cloud uh, Native American guy who's, whose daughter has been possessed. And then this exorcist turns up and speaks to the um, the father of this, this missing uh, girl, Linda Little Trees, and he just says, you're too late, she escaped. So, um, you know, that's not a good way to end an issue, Billy. What do you think? It's a little bit, you know, Yeah, boring. no, I... Yeah, I thought to myself, it, it would have been, I mean, if they could have shown him getting there while she was still there, you know, possessed with the demon, you know, uh, would have been a little bit better. But yeah, it's not a really uh, keep you on the edge of your seat kind of thing. So yeah, a little bit of a letdown there for sure. Yeah. Now, um, I think they sort of tried to make up for the fact that the issue ended so abruptly with the preview for the next issue, which is on page 28, right, Billy? They say uh -huh. next a Dynamite double feature. First, in Ghost Rider number two, shake hands with Satan. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the cataclysmic conclusion, Marvel Spotlight number 12. Now, Billy, I think this this uh, gives us the opportunity to mention the the cameo, or the not the cameo, the, the first appearance, actually, of this Marvel character. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let you do the honors. Who was this exorcist that was approached by the Native Americans to save this girl? Well, when the old man opens the door, the person identifies himself by saying, Hello, I am Damon Hellstrom. So, there you go. Kind of a first appearance there. I think a lot of people use Marvel Spotlight 12 to say, Hey, that's his first appearance, but technically this is. It goes to number one is his first appearance. Yeah. The first appearance of the son of Satan. Yep. Damon Hellstrom. Yeah, and also a long time member later on of the defenders which is a mm -hmm. series we both both love billy so oh yeah but i i loved his marvel spotlight appearances from marvel spotlight number 12 onwards where it became damon hellstrom's uh, title for a brief period um i loved the character of damon hellstrom he was such an interesting and visually arresting creation yeah, yeah. His right, right, his appearances and I think his appearances in Marvel Spotlight were better than when he got his own series. I mean, it didn't last long, like eight oh, issues yeah. maybe, but the Marvel Spotlights are way better. And to me, it's just further proof that there was some serious drug use going on at Marvel in the 70s, <laughs> man, because they are insane. They're as crazy oh. as the Morbius issues. With serious those. substance abuse going yeah. on there. Yeah, oh, it's crazy. It's a, I mean, it's fun, good crazy, but it's crazy. They had to be smoking well, something. Well, listeners, that's why we're going to get to those issues of Damon Hellstrom soon, because that's what mm. Into the Weird is all about, those yeah. wacky, silly, Bronze Age weirdness issues. Yeah, maybe so, the yeah, people at Marvel were borrowing some peyote from the Native Americans or something here. <laughs> we'll give you some peyote if Oof. you put us in the comic book. <laughs> <laughs> something, some kind of a trade-off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, I was just surprised that uh, Red Wolf didn't make an appearance from, from the old Avengers comics, but mm. <laughs> that would have been too much because he was sort of the Captain America of the Native Amer Americans at the time. I don't think he would have agreed with all these these drug imbibing people <laughs> showing up in his comic books. Yeah. 
So yeah, well, great issue uh, because of the art and because of the first appearance of Damon Hellstrom, but not that great on the writing side. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, so you know, um, there's this reprehensible comment that you know Gary Friedrich writes, and he it comes out of the mind of Damon Hellstrom, no less, where when he first you know sees the the, the abode. You know, oh, yeah. he, he turns up and he says, a rundown Indian shack. I'm not going to get rich off this assignment. <laughs> Come I'm on, Friedrich. I'm surprised it's not a TP. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that would have been. Oh, come on. Oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> Dude. But, you know, still, I mean, I'm not saying Gary Friedrich wasn't on the level of Steve Englehart and Steve Gerber, but he could have done that a little bit more subtly. Or maybe that was just Damon Hellstrom's character in the beginning, but. I can't remember that. I mean, in the Marvel Spotlight issues, he is very arrogant. He's He looks down on humanity as a whole. But that's just a, a terrible thing to say when it comes to the Native Americans of the time. Right, Billy? Yeah, I mean, so. it is, it's probably a pretty accurate portrayal uh, by Sutton, uh, I would yeah. say. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the wording could have been uh, way different there to, you know, kind of, like I said, you want to yeah. portray him as like a, a jerk, but not say something that's like kinda, but not as an intolerant yeah. asshole yeah, yeah 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 because something he's a little bit star, better <laughs> yeah he's gonna star in his, his own series soon so you don't want to do that yeah. but you know I, I like the fact that ghost rider the first five issues of the ghost rider title and the the next few issues of marvel spotlight kind of went hand in hand i like mm-hmm. that yeah you know but it's also the way that it's also marvel saying like hey kind of you kind of have to buy both issues keep buying both series for a yeah. while don't don't drop the one in favor of the other <laughs> that's them time to keep their readership and also keep the the money from flowing yeah <laughs> keep the money oh, from flowing i should say so okay billy so we we're done with this issue not too much to say other than a couple of weird panels which we're going to be discussing in mighty marvel missteps and bronze age brilliance um which we'll head on right now um after this short break so listeners keep listening and we'll be back in a jiffy Batu, Barada, Nikto. Please repeat that. Batu, Barada, Nikto. You must remember those words. Jump, get under cover! Right, we're back uh, with Mighty Marvel Missteps and Bronze Age Brilliance, one mm. of our favorite segments of the show, right, Billy? So I'm going to let oh, yeah. you go first, Billy. Mighty Marvel Missteps first this time. What do you say? Let's get the, the to the real meat of this comic. Okay, so you sort of mentioned it earlier, but you didn't say the exact dialogue, so I will now. So when <laughs> Ghost Rider shows up <laughs> after the, the, the motorcycle crash, you know, Roxanne is like, I mean, she's maybe being a little overly dramatic about it because I don't know how, you know, great her relationship was with uh, Bart Slade. But the guy just died and she's kind of freaking out about it a little bit because, you know, it was pretty nasty. And she's like, no, it can't be first Johnny. Now this <laughs> Ghost Rider <laughs> is standing right behind her. And his exact uh... words are control yourself, woman. We will grieve together later. <laughs> so it's like, really, dude? When I read it, I couldn't believe it. I was like, did they really have him say that to her? Like, oh, my gosh, really? Come on. 
Well, the whole panel looks weird, man. Oh. He's, she's crying her eyes out, and he's standing behind her with his hand on her shoulder in full Ghost Rider getup <laughs> with the flaming skull and the raspy voice that the taxi driver so loathed or scared the, the crap out of him. And he's saying yeah. this to her in his demonic uh, demeanor, you know, but still mm-hmm. Johnny Blaze, you know, because when he becomes the Ghost Rider, he tends to call people mortals and, and humans, mm-hmm. and he, he speaks like a demon, even though he's still got johnny blaze's cognitive faculties but here yeah. it's just okay the demon must have taken over at, at this point because it's so insensitive and he's just uh, saying this guy this friend of ours bart slade just died let's get out of here <laughs> yeah i mean i just yeah i mean control yourself woman and then we will grieve together and then dot dot later later what do you mean by that <laughs> it's like uh, some kind of like veiled like Sexual reference or something? What is he talking well, I about? Don't I, know, thought, oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. They <sighs> probably got up to all kinds of shenanigans in, in their free time mm. before this, so he's probably one to rekindle that relationship. I mean, he hasn't seen her for a while since, you know, she's been in the hospital, but that's just weird. It could also be the fact that he didn't care much for Bart Slade unconsciously, mm. subconsciously, because if you think about it, the Ghost Rider might be a manifestation of his you know, subconscious too, in, in, uh, to a certain degree. So, you know, Bart Slade was at this point in time a competitor, right? Who wanted to steal uh, Johnny's place in the in the spotlight, right, Billy? So yeah. it, it might be this repressed uh, antagonism coming to the fore. Who knows? But that's just oh. terrible. It's a terrible thing to say. Yeah. I mean, Roxanne was clearly emotionally attached to this guy. Um, mm-hmm. And and Johnny Blaze should have been too because they've been partners for so long. And this guy was keeping his show running while he was gallivanting off fighting demons and stuff and and, and Native Americans, <laughs> so murderous Native mm-hmm. Americans. So you know, obviously this this was very very strange. Yeah, definitely a huge misstep. So mm, for sure, for for me, Billy, it was the portrayal of the Native Americans in this thing, showing them as poor. Now, that is a reflection on, on some form of reality, you know, um, which was the case in, in, in most reservations, I think. I, I haven't done mm-hmm. my, my homework on this, but of course, they there was poverty. There was um, a, definitely a sense of they weren't living uh, to the extent that other, you know, wealthier people. Uh, societies were living at that point in time in the states but you know um uh you know then when hellstrom shows up you know he just makes light of the fact that oh no this is i'm i'm at an indian reservation so obviously this is not going to be very lucrative that part bugs me and um you know also the fact that you know the the during Gary Friedrich's introduction of these Native Americans, the silver clouds and the little trees, and like I say, the two enemies that Ghost Rider fought in the previous story arc, uh, Snake uh, Dance, <laughs> the medicine man, the, the crazed <laughs> medicine man, and then this lady, witch woman. It's sort of, mm-hmm. it's not that they were possessed by the ancestors or the powers of Native Americans. It was basically Satan using yeah. the fact that they're more apt to experiment with the spiritual side of things because of how they view the world, using that as an inroads to possess them and to manipulate them in order to get to Johnny Blaze. So this is sort of, yeah. you know, Billy, it's reprehensible in the sense that, you know, Satan is using them as cannon fodder in his war mm-hmm. against Johnny Blaze. And then you don't have 
these Native Americans at any point of time having any agency of their own. So yeah. it's it's not so much this issue as what the events that happened in Marvel Spotlight leads up to in this issue. Um, and uh, maybe, I mean, Gary Friedrich might have been ignorant of the fact, I mean, this, after all, it's like, what, 40 years ago, 45 years ago. So I don't really blame him alone. I'm just saying that because of the times that this was happening in and, you know, you had the civil rights movement and so forth, people were focusing on that side of things. They should have taken this opportunity to give these people a little bit more agency as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think you're right on that one. I don't think there was anything malicious going on with uh, the, the dialogue, but it just it was a, a missed opportunity for sure to try and, uh, you know, uh, uh, lift up, you know, a certain segment of people in the United States that, you know, up until that time, especially hadn't been treated very had been treated poorly for sure. No yeah. doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted them to show one of the Native Americans at least. Uh, triumphing or being shown in a very uh, with with pride if you know what I mean right yeah. Billy but what we get is yeah. this girl that's been possessed and then the Native Americans are being forced to ask quote unquote the white man for help but still the like I say they're shown in in these pages as pitiful and run down and in need of help <clears throat> all the time so yeah I wish they would have you know uh, shown them as the the prideful, the, the, the proud, honorable people they really are, which, mm-hmm. which, which they didn't do. But anyway, that's my mighty Marvel misstep. But what about your Bronze Age brilliance? Well, for sure, to me, it's not even close. The artwork in this book, you know, Tom Sutton is just incredible in this book. His work, and, it, you know, like we said earlier, you know, he's, he's more known for, you know, horror and weird, creepy kind of things. But he does superheroes and just the everyday things, like even the expressions, the facial expressions, like the page where, you know, it shows uh, Bart Slade uh, coming up on the the ramp on the bike. It's an incredible page. Panels, art, the artwork is just incredible in this issue. The, oh, the pages you mentioned too, the scenes where, you know, the demon or Satan or whoever is coming into the room to like, you know, fully possess little little trees. Oh, it's just incredible looking work. Yeah. Very, very good. I mean, it's just, you can't go wrong here. Sutton did an incredible job. This it's book. it's amazing. No, uh, Sutton was uh, quoted as saying superheroes are fascists. <laughs> <laughs> He's always, he always hated illustrating superheroes, but he loved drawing Ghost Rider. That's a fact. He said that in many in- interviews. That's the only quote unquote superhero character he really enjoyed drawing. You know, he was more into drawing Westerns and, and war comics and then horror comics eventually. But he started off with Westerns and war. And I'm, I'm so glad that he kept, he stuck to what he was good at and what he liked. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about someone like John Buscema, right? Um, Billy, he became so famous drawing superheroes in the, in the 1960s when he didn't have any other options that when he in fact did come to, you know, that point in his uh, life where he had the status to draw whatever he wanted, he was still drawing super superheroes. He still drew stuff that he liked, like Conan, you know, and um, Cull and stuff like that. But that that's the stuff he really enjoyed drawing, these historical mm-hmm. uh, settings. But um, he still had to keep drawing superheroes because he was now so associated with them. You know, but, yeah. but Tom Sutton, he was a horror guy from the beginning, 
or or an, I should say a non-superhero artist from the beginning and he illustrated them all the way up until I think the 1990s he still yeah. kept drawing comics and um, he did them so well so yeah he's definitely a horror guy for me and you really see that coming through in those pages you mentioned oh yeah yeah he did a great job it's just he's one of those guys that you don't hear you never hear when it's just mainstream stuff talking about comic books and artists and stuff like that and even in the you know I think it's almost like just hardcores and purists that know him. And it's kind of a shame because he's a really good artist. Yeah. I mean, did you ever read his run on the House of Mystery when he was doing Andrew Bennett, the I Vampire stuff? I have not. I think I may have one trade. I could be wrong. Oh, but man. The, the DC showcase that might have some of that in it, but not much, no. Yeah, I wonder if there's a trade still out about just, it's just titled I Vampire. It collects the entire House of Mystery Vampire, I, I Vampire mm. story arc. You should get that, Billy. I think it's still, it might not be available on on places like Amazon and so forth, but you'd definitely be able to find that in comic stores or on eBay or something. That trade is worth it because it's the complete Tom Sutton I, I Vampire story arc from, I think, House of Mystery 296 up till 313 or something. I'm, I'm not sure about the numbers now, but I, I love that series. And that's all brilliant Tom Sutton. Um, and, you know, so like you say, the art definitely, whenever you see a Sutton com- illustrated comic, it, it has almost has to be the, the brilliance, the Bronze Age brilliance. But I'm going to go a different route, Billy. I'm going to go, my Bronze Age brilliance was the introduction, well half introduction of Damon Halstrom because the pages that Tom Sutton illustrates so it definitely has something to do with the art as well where we see him for the first time he's in shadow you never know who he really is and he's such an important character but you don't know this at the time if you were a reader in 1972 right but for Mm -hmm. us for me knowing what Damon Halstrom becomes and how important he is this introduction is brilliant because Obviously, they had great plans for the character, but they weren't just going to throw him out there that most comic books did at the time when they had a new character. They they have him on the cover. They fully display him. No, you only see that in <clears throat> Marvel Spotlight number 12, which people say is his real first appearance. But it's not true. Obviously, here you get a lot of Damon Hellstrom, almost half of the comic in this Ghost Rider mm-hmm. number one. So we his introduction is great. A phone rings... And you see this shadowy figure sitting in this library full of occult texts. And then mm-hmm. <clears throat> he keeps talking on the phone to the Silver Cloud guy who phones him to ask for help with Linda Littletrees. And then you see more of the library, the setting of this guy. There's the back of his purple chair and the rest of the library is in shadow. But you do see the shape of a giant ankh, an Egyptian ankh, the symbol of death up on the wall. Then you see below, you see like a bust of some sorcerer to the left of it and then a skull on top of the shelf. And then to the bottom right of that panel, you see a statue of some winged demon. (laughs) (laughs) And then you see a library ladder to the right of the chair, which means that this guy must have an extensive library. And then the shot of Damon Hellstrom's introduction pans to the left and you see a side profile of him sitting in the chair, but you can't see his face yet. And then as he's talking to this Little Trees guy, there's you obviously at this point in time, based on the conversation, knows that he's an exorcist of some sort or an occult Mm -hmm. investigator. And then you see this uh, book open 
it looks at first to be the Bible, but it's open in the middle of the book. And which book, which biblical text or which Bible would ever have the name Holy Bible on a page in the middle of the book? <laughs> no, it, it Obviously not the Bible. No. <laughs> this is some occult text describing a chapter on the Holy Bible or something. And it's this massive tome with two bookmarks. You know, one of those silk, silken bookmarks hanging out of it with these medallions at the back to keep the weight. Oh, it's just brilliant. And then, yeah. you know, that that's the introduction. And then after he puts down the phone, after he hangs up, you see him slowly unbuttoning his shirt. But you still don't see his face. And then you see the tattoo, the symbol of the mark of Satan on his chest. So right from, from that Right from the get-go, I was like, I'm all in. Occult detective, some guy linked to Satan but wants to combat the forces of evil, I'm in. I don't care who this guy is. But of course, at the yeah. time that I read this, I already knew who Damon Hellstrom was. So the introduction for me was so good. Hell yes, I'd read Marvel Spotlight number 12, which they advertise at the back, which is going to star this mysterious character. Definitely I would mm -hmm. read it. So what a great introduction to whet the appetite for the next issue of Marvel Spotlight um, in Ghost Rider number one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we also found out from that one page there that uh, apparently Damon shaves his chest as well. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and he works out. Don't forget that, yeah, yeah, Billy. Yeah. He shaves his chest and he works out. <laughs> yeah, and he, like, I don't know, I almost think, feel like he loves Captain America, too. That, that's a little cap-ish. Oh, that. yeah, the star, the star. <laughs> hey, that's, that's well, you could then say Captain America was inspired by Satan. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. <laughs> let's not go that well, way. He, well, he is an agent of Hydra, so we know this. But anyway. Ooh, <laughs> yes, definitely. Good point. No, no, no. We're all, all, all kidding aside. Uh, you know, it's a brilliant introduction, definitely. You know, the funny thing is that people associate stars with either liberty, freedom, or with satanic rituals. Why? You know, Deviltry. the star. Deviltry, yeah. I mean, Lucifer is known as the morning star, you know, so. But I, I've never seen him as a bad guy, you know. That's only the way he's portrayed in film and stuff like that. And ever since John Milton got his hands on him and you know basically it's just um lucifer being a rebel you know it's the sign of rebellion and rebellion's he's not... misunderstood yep uh, rebellion's not always a bad thing billy if you think about it that that leads to change much needed change at most times so you know i'm not going to say I, i'm saying cap he's definitely not inspired by lucifer consciously by kirby and 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 joe simon but he's definitely a symbol of change let's let's put it at that cap is a symbol of change. He's not a symbol of conservatism, which most people think he should be. He, he's, he's an agent of change. So yeah, um, same with Damon Hellstrom here. Because if you think about it, Billy, this introduction of Ghost Rider at the same time, roughly, as the Son of Satan in Marvel sort of led into a whole new slew of supernatural stories, which was different than the vampire and the Frankenstein monster and the werewolf by nightfare we had gotten and, and the man-thing swamp horror. This was... Mm -hmm. Horror of the religious kind, horror of, yeah. of of the demonic universes of hell, of the different planes of 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 hell that we would get to see in Marvel, and um, uh, to an extent Mephisto. And you could argue that the Doctor Strange uh, comics we had seen with the Dark Dimension and with with uh, the Sons of Satanish and with those guys and with Dormammu that could have been kind of the precursor to this part of the Marvel universe, you know. But mm -hmm. here they went more full on 
religion-based horror, which yeah. which is something I like. I don't know. How do you feel about that kind of stuff? Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, um, The Sentinel, the, the, those that kind of movies. How do you feel about that? The Omen, well, the of course. Com- yeah, the comic books, They, I love this part, you know, this era of the comics because it really, I mean, to me, Damon Hellstrom's a great character because it just plays against, you know, you know him him being literally at least at this point back then the son of satan yeah and you would think that would just fall right in line with you know being a you know quote-unquote evil character but he's not it's a oh and then when you bring in his sister oh my gosh and mephisto i love that character I, i love the fact that mephisto you know he's a manipulator and you know he might not get his way but then he's always like you know he, he always has that final laugh and oh, in his realm he's near undefeatable and even in you know you have a little bit of a chance if he comes to the earthly plane but there's oh so many marvel did a great job with that during this this era they were just clicking on all cylinders and it was the perfect time to introduce all that stuff so that great job there i guess probably you know a lot of the thanks to roy thomas there because he was kind of running the show a bit that's right he was shepherding this era of marvel yeah. and he did did well at least for a while and then, you know, um, obviously he left. But, you know, the five years or so from 1970 to 1975, I think, or 1974 that he was there. You're right, Billy. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things were greenlit by him. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, let's do this. And he, he basically, I read an interview or did I hear an interview uh, with him once where he said, or or no, no, I heard an interview with another creator. It might have been Steve Engelhart or it might have been... Um, yeah, it was definitely Steve Englehart where he said Roy Thomas's policy was that you come to him with an idea and then he would say, okay, do whatever you want to do. Just make it sell. You know, mm-hmm. so that's why there was so much creative freedom in those early days in the 70s in Mar- at Marvel because mm-hmm. basically anything went as long as you could get it to sell and then you would be allowed to do whatever you wanted to do. But of course, later that changed. Yeah, so. yeah, I feel like you know, Roy Thomas was one of those guys where, you know, he was an editor and then editor-in-chief. You know, as long as he saw you knew what you were doing, he, he was very hands-off. And that's why you got a lot of this great stuff. Yeah, that's right. Well, Billy, I think that concludes our Bronze Age Brilliance and Mighty Marvel Mistip segment. We'll be back with some Shop Talk listeners, so don't go away. <laughs> Hello everyone, I'm Al Sedano, host of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Over the last few years, this show has covered Adam's life, from his early appearances in Fantastic Four and Thor, to his run as Space Jesus on Counter-Earth. Now, we have made it midway through the 1970s and Jim Starlin's iconic run on the character. The Magus. Gamora, Pip the Troll, and Adam finally meeting Thanos. Speaking of Thanos, we haven't forgotten about him. We will soon be starting our coverage of Starlin's hardcover graphic novel, The Infinity Relativity, starring Thanos. So join me, along with my regular co-hosts, John Wilson and Brian Zeno, as well as others, on Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean.
resurrectionsadamorelife.tumblr.com. All right, listeners, we're back with Shop Talk. And Billy, I'm going to let you go again uh, this week. What have you been recently reading, perusing, buying, and enjoying? Okay, so one of the things I had kind of forgotten about um, and goes along with, of course, into the weird with our Doctor Strange discussions is a four-issue limited series uh, from the uh, late 90s called Doctor Strange, The Flight of Bones. Um, And it was written by Dan Jolly and some artwork with Tony Harris, I believe. And uh, it's a pretty good story. It's definitely worth a read. If you can get it in the cheap bins, you know, a dollar a book or whatever, or uh, digitally very cheap, definitely give it a read. Um, you know, it's a an interesting story. You know, the doc kind of uh, losing his powers a bit and uh, questioning himself and then some, you know, uh, supernatural things as well. So Doctor Strange, The Flight of Bones, definitely uh, check that one out. It was under the Marvel Knights banner, so it must have been, what, what was that, like 97, 98, 99 in there. Yeah, full disclosure, Billy, I never read that series, but I saw it in some kind of a trade paperback form just the other day at the bookstore. I don't know why I didn't buy it, at the comic book store, I should say. Um, that's one of the Doctor Strange ones that I still haven't read I want to pick up. I, In fact, Billy, I, I have to tell the listeners here, for a massive Doctor Strange fan, I am actually only a fan of Bronze Age Doctor Strange. You know, when <clears throat> Roy Thomas took over the writing of the 1988 series, which went into the 90s, the Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme series, I read the beginning, but I didn't <clears throat> like it as much as I thought I would, and I dropped off. Yeah. Um, not that Roy wasn't doing well on that title. It just wasn't didn't feel the same as the original Doctor Strange run and before no. that the Marvel okay. premiere stuff. So, you know, I am a massive Doctor Strange fan, but only of the older you know, 70s and 80s fair, the early 80s, yeah. I should say. So that's probably why yeah. I haven't read that. But, you know, I, I am a fan of the Jason Aaron written Doctor Strange that he started writing in, in 2015. I enjoyed mm. that. I even enjoyed the Donny Cates run. But, you know, it's not as mind-blowing as the early Doctor Strange that I read as a kid. So, yeah, I should really try some new things every now and then, branch out, but I don't. But Billy, if you recommend The Flight of Bones, then I'm definitely going to pick it up because I'm thinking it's still at the comic book store. Yeah, so, if, it's, if it's at a decent price, definitely give it a read for sure. I mean, I'll, don't pay, like I'm sure, you know, if the trade it's, you know, 20 bucks or something like that, that's way too steep. But if you can get it discounted, definitely grab it. Right, right, right. All right, well, uh, as for me, Billy, what I've been reading recently has been a lot of Jason Aaron's Thor comics and uh, War of the Realms. Now, Listeners might remember um, two episodes ago, I really gave the War of the Realms uh, first issue. Um, I really took the, the, you know, uh, took it to task and sort of criticized it severely because uh, even though it was a lengthy issue, it was not. It's longer than your normal twenty pages or twenty-four pages. Um, it, I still read it so quickly, and because it had a lot of large panels, a lot, lot of great art from Russell Dodderman. But um, I wasn't feeling it. And the reason why it didn't engage me, Billy, is because there's two issues of the Thor series that I didn't read leading up to War of the Realms. So I went back because I had it on my call order, you know, and I've been collecting Thor ever since I was a kid. I've, I've never stopped collecting it. That's why Thor is kind of one of the series that I keep, you know, trying to get every issue of, uh, every issue that I can get my hands on. I have almost none of the, the Silver Age Thor, Journey into Mystery stuff, but 
You know, most of the 70s stuff, 80s, the 90s, the horrible Thunderstrike era, I even have some of that. You know, so I've been collecting Thor for a while. So I'm not just going to give up collecting Thor, especially not since it's been quite good. But for a while there, I stopped reading it, but I was still buying it. You know what I mean? We've all gone through those periods. And I I stopped reading just before Jane Foster Thor. Um, And then I recently caught up on everything and I loved it. It was so great that that part where Jane Foster became Thor and, you know, where, you know, it led up to us learning what's happening with Malekith and the War of the Realms. It was great. Now, I'm not going to drop any spoilers, Billy, because I really want you to read it. But basically, mm-hmm. I wasn't in love with the first issue because the you know it has a lot of the Marvel street level hero characters showing up, and then it's got uh, Malekith and all of these evil creatures from Thor's past, and you've got a couple of new ones too, like the daughter of Surtur, Cinder. You know they've got all of these these realms that are antagonistic towards Earth, to towards Midgard, and they're showing up in New York, and then you've got people like Daredevil, the Punisher, and Spider Man trying to hold them at bay. And of course, they're being helped by the Warriors Three and about and by Lady Sif and even Thor's mom, Lady Freya. But you know, for me, that the first issue didn't do it for me because I don't like seeing street level characters fight cosmic threats. I, that's just mm-hmm. my own personal uh, preference. You know, I, I like to see people engage these cosmic level characters on their own turf, or at least with with a power set that could give them a run for their money now I'm, I'm i know they're raising the stakes here showing that you know new york's in trouble marvel's being uh raked across the coals here by you know this uh these threats but i j- didn't enjoy it billy that first issue but thor basically in the the thor issues i mentioned that i read leading up to war of the realms he's stuck in the land of the frost giants and he's that that's where they're going to murder him because they lured him there and he's surrounded by a literal army of frost giants. So you've got him wreaking all kinds of havoc, just taking out frost giants left and right. And he eventually shows up in the, the, the second and third issues of the War of the Realm. So I kept buying it because it's on my call order and I enjoyed issue number two way more than I thought because now you've got more... You've got the Marvel Universe coming into play. You don't have too many uh, episodes on, you know, in New York streets proper. You do have, but, you know, it's basically an all-out war at this point in time. So it looks like they're fighting in this ruined apocalyptic landscape at this point in time. So I really, really enjoyed it. So, listeners, I take back what I said. War of the Realms is going strong. (laughs) Uh, You know, Herman from, from one month ago is an idiot. Don't listen to that dick. <laughs> Just uh, accept my apology and try to read Lord of uh, War of the Realms. If you you don't need to read War of the Realms Strike Force or any of the other issues to really know what's going on here, I think the main title will serve you well. At least I've only been reading Thor and I've read up to War of the Realms uh, issue three now at this point in time. I know um, number four is out uh, as we're doing this recording, but I've yet to get to that. But really, really good art. Um, it does still read fast, much faster than a Bronze Age comic. But hey, you know, what am I going to do? I'm a fan of Thor. I'm a fan of that universe. And basically every character from the Thor, uh, you know, universe is in play here. So definitely pick that up if you can. And um, that's what I've been doing. And I'm just very sorry that I, I had to subject the listeners to my 
one of my meaningless rants again <laughs> when I <laughs> went off on War of the Realms last time. So I take that back. Oh, hey, there's nothing. It's, it's, it's okay to admit you were wrong. That's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Billy, then I guess that does it for our shop talk. Not a lot to talk about this week, but that's because, you know, we've been very focused on the stuff that we're normally into, and that is reading back issues, watching mm. movies, especially the old Hammer Horror stuff, and mm. um, you, you and I, you, we'll give the listeners a bit of a preview uh, of that at the end of the show. And we've mm-hmm. been, you know, uh, obviously prepping for this show. So we've been reading some Ghost Riders. So that's what we can let you uh, recommend for you listeners, at least. Doctor Strange and some Thor comics. All right, we'll be back after this quick promo with our, well, much-loved and also much-loathed segment of the show, Get Off My Lawn. On the bus. Excuse me. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is John Kimball. And I love my car. Yo, man, I'm hey. just gonna keep an eye on it for you, all right? See what I'm saying? You gotta watch you on the right. Shit, who think he is? He lucky I didn't kick his ass. <laughs> All right, listeners, we're back with Get Off My Lawn, a segment where we <laughs> uh, rant and rave and go mad and become the old men we're going to be in 10 years. <laughs> Some people say we already <laughs> are, but come on, we're in our early 40s. <laughs> that's that's the new 20, the new 25. So, you know, we're going to uh, rant a bit about what we think um, has been happening that uh, is not copacetic with our views of the world and uh, you guys just have to listen to it so apologies in advance listeners so Billy I'm going to go first this time around right um, mm-hmm. now my get off my lawn grievance that I'm going to air all started a couple of weeks ago when I was hanging out with one of my regular friends now what I mean by regular friends is folks who aren't into comics but they do every now and then watch a Marvel movie or um, you know one of the DC movies and, um, you know, he was, he knows I'm a comic book fan. We were just, the conversation started off with the Marvel MCU and with Endgame being such a hit. And then eventually he said, so you're still reading the comics? So I said, yeah, oh man, I never stopped reading the comics. You know, I'm a huge comic book fan. And then for the first time since I've known him, and I've known him for about a decade, he said, why do you read it? Isn't it a waste of money and a waste of time? And I said, why do you say that? I mean... Everybody has a hobby. Is your hobby of stamp collecting or whatever, or your hobby of obsessively buying porn DVDs, is that also a waste of time? <laughs> so he said, no, man. I mean, his point was that comic book is lowbrow entertainment, comic books. That's that's what he thinks, lowbrow entertainment. Now, Billy, as a comic book reader, you probably hate that term as much as I do, lowbrow entertainment. And I just... I, I hate that term because it's not true. You know, when when you mm-hmm. start reading comic books as a kid, you learn so much from comic books, not just in terms of reading. It definitely ups your reading level. You learn new vocabulary. You learn new concepts. You learn science fiction terms. You learn things that... And as we know, you know, science fiction leads to eventually becoming science fact in most cases, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying we're going to have a working time machine here by you know, the next 10 years. But, you know, what my point is, you learn stuff from comic books that 
kids who don't read a lot of comics books might not learn. I mean, obviously, if you're an avid reader of novels and and all of that, of course, you're going to learn the same things you would from comics, probably even more. But tell me, Billy, which six-year-old kid or seven-year-old kid reads novels? Not a lot. No. No. If you're going to hate comic books and you're going to become an avid reader, you're probably only going to become an avid reader obsessively around the age of 10 to 11 to 12 or something like that. So I'm saying comic book readers might have, if you start young, they might have an advantage, you know, based on those Mm -hmm. guys. You might have three good years of reading lots of comics and you might be on a reading level much higher than those guys. That was definitely the case for me. Now, where I sucked at other subjects like math and science, you know, I excelled at English because I was an avid reader from an early age. And I'm talking comics here. So I learned lots of vocabulary, lots of interesting, you know, um, social dynamics from reading comics. Of course, every now and then you might read the wrong thing or learn the wrong thing. Um, But, you know, I never took the violence or whatever I saw in the comics to heart. I never acted that out in real life. You know, I was a kid who was able to see the difference between reality and and fantasy, probably because of my parents too. They helped in that regard. But my point is the good that I got from reading comics, the advantages far outweighed the negative things like not doing homework or (laughs) not engaging with your family around the dinner table because your nose is stuck in a comic book. Of course, those things are disadvantages, but the advantages far outweighed um you know the bad so that's just my you know um that i'm just speaking my mind on this issue billy and and then you've got assholes like bill maher who who a month or two ago or actually was last year just after the death of stan lee saying that comic books are in fact lowbrow entertainment that only a country weaned on comic books could ever elect someone like you know the current president who's in office um so that doesn't help, Bill Maher. You anyway. Sorry, I shouldn't say that on air, but yeah, I'm gonna say that because, come on, I used to watch this that guy's show. I used to enjoy, well, not all of his stuff, but some of it. But you know, I completely boycotted it after that because, how can he say that of a part that's so integral to American culture and in fact world culture now, Billy? I mean, you don't see the the people from France, or from England. Oh, okay, way back when they did, but nowadays you don't see them ripping apart 2000 AD or Asterix or the, the French you know, stuff uh, by guys like Alejandro Jodorowsky and uh, Mobius. You don't see them shitting all over that. You mm-hmm. see them nope. celebrating it. You see them yeah. celebrating it as an art form. And, and luckily in the States now, most people do in fact celebrate comic books and an art form but as an art form but then you've got this this asshole you know someone like him saying stuff like okay you know we should definitely not consider this as part of americana at all you know this should be wiped from our collective memories okay he didn't say that in those precise words but basically he says comic books are bad for us they're intellectually bad mm-hmm. they create intellectually stunted individuals that's his his thought process, that's what he's thinking. That's what he was saying. Unless I completely misinterpreted it and I'm ranting and going crazy just like an old man should here now. But I don't think I am, Billy. I mean, you <laughs> no. you were there. You, you, you've heard about this. You probably saw that. What did you think about this? Yeah, it was just, you know, 
one of those statements that people make from time to time uh, to get some kind of shock value. Like uh, his ratings were probably down and he thought, oh, this will get them back up. It's just terrible because just think about it from a literacy perspective. It makes no sense. You know what I mean? Like they can be a gateway to literacy for kids because are you going to tell me uh, reading to a child or letting a child read Dr. Seuss? Nobody calls that lowbrow. You know what I mean? And you're, you're definitely going to learn a lot more from a comic book than you are that and not bashing that. But I'm just saying you are. You're going to get at least, you know, an expanded vocabulary uh, that you'll use your, throughout your whole life by reading comics. And everybody that's, you know, read these books knows that it's true. Yeah. So just, yeah. you know, shock value. Yeah. Well, I know uh, Bill has an issue with Hollywood being overrun by superhero movies and big budget blockbusters that they are you know that's obviously upsetting and i've got friends who are of a similar mind they they want movies like the godfather they want stuff like that to be the blockbuster so that we can have more of that those movies are still out there but of course they're being eclipsed by these massive earners like you know the avengers and even mm-hmm. way before that avatar of course that's not uh, on the level of storytelling as the godfather but you know um there's a place for everything and if something is becoming famous at the expense of something else, of course, then the fans of that thing that's now suffering because of this massive blockbuster, they're going to be upset. And I, I think Bill's one of those people. But now he's using his platform to break down uh, something that has been part of America's culture since the early 1930s. And mm-hmm. um, it's so integral to, I think, what, what America has given us in terms of intellectual conflict. I mean, name a scientist or a writer or someone who, who as a kid wasn't fascinated by science fiction magazines or, or pulp magazines or uh, movies like 2001 A Space Odyssey or, or even the concept of Superman or Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers. Those things influenced people to eventually do what they did later on in life. Now, I'm not saying everybody was influenced by that. You know, of course, you had people who, as since they were kids, they probably looked down on that kind of form of entertainment. But what about the massive part of the population who b- benefited from those uh, ideas, those creative characters that they read as kids? Right, Billy? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there yep. are numerous guys like that i mean it's not uh, when you 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 see like scientists like neil degrasse tyson and guys like that who who admits that when they were kids they loved comic books and sure they're not kids anymore they're adults now they don't read comic books anymore but that those comics occupy a special place in their hearts so you know what does bill maher want just no comic books at all not even for kids for nobody you know, so Mm. it's just i don't know that's just the message i got from listening to it maybe i took it too seriously but Anyway, what the positive side of this get off my lawn rant, uh, Billy, is I'm going to say that, you know, comic books really taught me stuff, not just vocabulary and, and language, but also made me interested in stuff like history. I mean, when I was a kid, I think you and I spoke about this before off mic, I was a big fan of All-Star Squadron from DC, and that got mm-hmm. me into wondering what World War II was really about. And even though I got lots of facts that were dropped in the comic book, I was interested and it galvanized me to learn more about World War II. And through that, I got interested in World War I and went back all the way to, you know, other great wars and battles in history as, you know, little boys are interested in wars and stuff. 
So that's my first inroads to history, but eventually it branched out and I became interested in history as a whole. And I definitely did some independent study and research on my own just to satisfy my curiosity. And that's something no teacher could have ever compelled me to do. Mm-hmm. You know, at least yep. the kind of student I was. So, you know, comics definitely led to uh, wonderful things in my life. And I'm not even in the comic book, book field. I'm not even in the industry, but my life has been enriched by them. So yep. the fact that he went down, you know, and came down that hard on comic books as a medium, it really bugged me. So I just want to say that people, um, you know, just um, obviously the listeners of this show are all comic book fans. So they might be in agreement, but they might also be in disagreement with me about how I, <laughs> you know, um, took on Bill Maher when he said this. But I think, um, you know, that guy needs to be taken down a peg. He has been taken mm-hmm. down a pegs in the past for calling people racial slurs, you know, which he says, oh, no, this is just part of the joke. But, you know, I think uh, someone from the comic book community, some celebrity who's who's up and running at the moment, maybe Tom King, who knows? <laughs> He's been on a couple of talk shows. He <laughs> needs to really take Bill Maher to task for what he yeah. said. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's my uh, rant over and done with Billy. Um, but what about you? I mean, there's a couple of things out on Twitter these days that you and I've been seeing. You're rearing their ugly heads again. Yeah, and we had talked a lot about it off mic, like you said earlier in your rant too. It's just the notion that you you can't compromise or have a meaningful conversation or discussion about something you disagree with in this day and age is just it just drives me crazy. Um, in no way, shape, or form is the comic book industry being lifted up by people that can't get along. So if you're a a, a comic skater or on the other side of the argument, you just, there's too much uh, hate and too much, you know, like at each other's throats over it. And it's just really sad for me to see. I think to myself, like there's, there's gotta be a better way because it's not helping comics. I think it's making it worse, you know, and the industry is already hurting that I think to myself, Hey, look, if you don't like a comic because you think there's something in there that's, you know, objectionable or whatever, then don't buy the book. You don't have to go online and tear down whoever's writing it or drawing it or something like that. Like, don't, there's there's no need to uh, attack someone over something, no matter how big it is or how insignificant it is. Just don't buy the book and just go. There's comic books out the well, wazoo right now, <laughs> you know, with all the publishers. Buy something else. Talk about something good. You know, find another book, find something good about it and talk about that. Don't don't, you know, try to tear somebody else down. Yeah, there's too much of that too much of that right now that's true Billy and then as as fans you know we've been in situations before where something has happened to our favorite characters and then Mm -hmm. it's been something we didn't agree with in fact sometimes it's been something that's been so earth shattering that we were downright depressed that that happened but you know I would never resort to death threats or threatening Mm. a writer you know when he's done that to my favorite character of course sometimes bad things are done to characters. But then, you know, I just wait it out until that character becomes good again. If that character never becomes good again, I, you know, enjoy reading his his old appearances and the comics that made me love him. I mean, I was a massive Legion of Superheroes fan. I still am. But then things have been done to the Legion throughout the years that really stabbed a dagger into my heart many times, repeatedly over and over again 
But eventually I always came back to the old comics, filled up my old runs, read them, loved them. I even read some of the new, uh, you know, um, iterations of the Legion and none of them worked for me, but I tried and it was fine. And I just went back to reading the old Giffen, you know, Keith Giffen, Paul Levitt's era, even before that, going back to the Mike Grell and from the 1970s. And, and you know, that makes me mm. feel good. So my point is, it's not worth, you know, affecting your reality to that extent that you would actually go to the point of threatening someone with death. And that's what happened to mm. Tom King, you know, with the whole yeah. controversy surrounding, you know, uh, Wally West being a murderer and stuff um, recently. So Heroes in Crisis, right, Billy? I, I you, you don't yeah. read that, I know, but you know, I've picked up a, I picked up the first three issues, but I didn't like it. I am a fan of the DC characters. I'm a DC guy uh, and I'm a Marvel guy. I never picked between the co two companies, but I love those characters. And yeah, something, something was done to one of them. I'm not going to go go to those extremes. Just like you say, don't read it. You know, just read something else. And, and if you miss that character, reread re the old appearances. Yeah, or if you like a comic, if you pick up a comic and read it and you think, boy, I didn't like that. And you're in the minority and there's a ton of people that did like it and you want to engage someone with a healthy conversation about why you didn't like it and they did hey go nuts but this this uh, constant like at each other and just you know you either have to be totally for something or totally against it it's the silliest notion ever just you know show some restraint either have a nice conversation about it and you know agree to disagree or just don't have that conversation at all just go go buy another book and hey, this is good, then be positive about that book. So we need, we need more positivity, less negativity. <laughs> well said, Billy, well said. Well, um, that leads into our next segment, Billy, which is our Allies of Agamotto and the Nexus of All Reviews. And after that, we'll wrap it up. So listeners, stay uh, on the line. Don't stop listening. We're just going to do a quick promo and then we'll be back again. Film and Water Podcast, a weekly show about movies old and new, hosted by obsessive movie nerd Rob Kelly and a rotating series of special guests. From sci-fi to horror, dramas to family films, comedies to adventure epics, we watch it all. The Film and Water Podcast is part of the Fire and Water family of podcasts, available weekly at fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. All right, listeners, it's time for our Nexus of All Reviews segment. For those new to the show, we are in the habit of giving a superhero secret identity or superhero moniker to listeners who give us a five-star rating on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, now, I've since decided, you know, if you give a four-star rating, you feel like you don't want to compromise your integrity, that's also fine. Anybody who leaves us a four-star rating or higher on iTunes will definitely get a superhero moniker from us here at Into the Weird. So this week, it is the turn of a reviewer known as, only as, Maryland Bear. Now, Maryland Bear left us a honest and highly critical review, and I appreciate uh, what he mentioned and said, and um, I really uh, listened to him and um, took what he said to heart and I've made improvements based on his recommendations. So I'm going to read you the review 
Um, his title was, I wish I could give this 4.5 stars, but he ended up giving us five stars in any way. He left this review last year and he said the following, these guys know their stuff. They have good voices for podcasts and Bronze Age Marvel is a topic that's right in my wheelhouse. But for the love of Stan Lee, don't open the podcast with 20 minutes of preliminaries before actually getting to the topic. It's great you name the people who say nice things about the podcast. It's cool that you give five-star reviewers their own Bronze Age identities, but save that for the end or intersperse between the meat of the episodes. And if you do that, start with a five to ten minutes about the topic. Look at it this way. I'm going to listen in on an upcoming episode for my name after I tweeted you. I'll stay through to the end, but a new listener isn't going to wait through a bunch of thank you messages before you actually talk comics. It's a great podcast, but it has a pretty annoying flaw. Thanks again, Marilyn Bear, for that very, very honest uh, review. I appreciate it. And we took what you said um, to heart and made the necessary changes. Of course, now what we do is we just do a quick bit of chatting at the beginning and then we get into the topic as soon as possible. It is something we noticed even before you mentioned it that we're one to do. Um, we veer off topic even before we got to the topic. So yeah, very, very honest and critical review. I appreciate that. Now, Marilyn Bear, as we are one to do, I've assigned you your own superhero uh, Bronze Age moniker. I didn't have a lot of information about you, man, other than your name but I hope you like what I came up with. All right, here we go. Deep beneath the Calvert Cliffs nuclear power plant in the state of Maryland lies sub-basement 16. There, the top scientists of the acronym organization known as HONEY, the hierarchy of nefarious energy yuppies, seek to atomically augment and harvest the restless energy of bees for their own sinister purposes. Landmark experiments allowed them to weaponize nuclear-powered wasps, construct self-regenerating hive bombs, and actualize a honeycomb seething with raw energy capable of powering human civilization well into the next millennium. However, the entire project had one pretty annoying flaw, namely the prevalence of the human sweet tooth. So it was that on one fateful day, a hungry scientist submitted to temptation and took a bite of said honeycomb, and chaos followed. The hapless scientist was transformed into a dangerously radioactive madman who promptly went berserk and destroyed years of research in seconds. He eventually escaped sub-basement 16, leaving hosts of irradiated and vomiting victims in his wake. Fueled by the restless energy of a quintillion bees, he terrorized the state for weeks, ranging far and wide, snacking on pets and wildlife to satiate his hunger. His radioactive bite caused strange mutations in the animals he attacked, such as the shocking ability to suddenly speak English or the predilection to spout mathematical equations before being completely devoured. This mindless rampage would not last. The nuclear-infused madness soon led the scientist, 
who was now naked, bald, and resembling a shaved gibbon, to the Appalachian Trail, where his eyes became too big for his stomach. He happened upon a huge black bear in the act of knocking down a beehive, a halo of furious bees around its head. Uttering a ululating cry, the ravenous scientist rushed forward and promptly chomped down on the bear's excrement-stained buttock. With a roar, and now sporting an irradiated strawberry-shaped gash on his hairy ass, the angry animal turned and was ready to rumble. A massive swipe of a forepaw, which sported claws that would make a wampa blanch, lopped the head off of the giger-busting human, effectively ending the radioactive rampage that had started in Chesapeake Bay and ended here at the foot of the Ridge and Valley Appalachians. But what became of the bear? Within minutes after receiving the irradiated bite, the animal found itself battered by alien thoughts and sensations, musings like cogito ergo sum, and so long and thanks for all the fish. Sensations such as the touch of a breeze tickling his unclothed nether regions, the appetizing whiff of cannabis-smoking hikers two miles away. Unbeknownst to the bear at the time, though his rapidly evolving intelligence would soon reveal this to him, he had gained the proportionate intelligence, vocal cords, and dexterous though still clawed digits of a homo sapien. Divesting the nearby stoned but terrified hikers of their clothes and using his new fingers and needle-like claw tips to sew the urine-stained garments together in a kind of patchwork poncho, the hyper-intelligent ursine monstrosity quickly clothed himself. Feeling the need to contemplate his new state of existence, he ensconced himself in an abandoned cabin containing nothing but a horrifying bearskin rug, a TV powered by a generator, the complete works of Chaucer, Nietzsche, as well as A.A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh. It soon became apparent that the entire state of Maryland was crawling with mutated mammals who were of a much less pleasant nature than the ornery but essentially good-hearted humanoid bear. He soon left his cabin to cleanse the surrounding countryside of these radioactive rodents and malefic malformed oddities. After the carnage, the state declared the humanoid bear a hero, and the papers named him the Ursine Avenger, though he preferred the name the stoned hikers, who became his unofficial sidekicks, called him, which was Captain Furry. Rejected by the real Avengers during a membership drive because of his slothful and inactive disposition during the winter months, he reluctantly joined the newly formed Pet Avengers, where, second only to Lockjaw and Throg, he proved to be the most effective member. After receiving worldwide recognition, he embarked on an illustrious superhero career, defeating foes such as the terrible duo, Flawmaster and the Annoyance, villains like the Leaping Salmon, 
despots like the Crypt Beekeeper and his zombified bees, and last but never least, his nemesis, Smokey the Chain-Smoking Pyromaniac Bear. Adopting a secret identity as a Chewbacca cosplayer and settling in Annapolis, the Ursine Avenger has become one of the most beloved of all Marvel superheroes, especially of the Marvel Marketing Department, who has since revolutionized the sale of poncho-wearing teddy bears. And that is the Ursine Avengers, folks. I hope you like that Maryland bear. And I even inserted something special just for you. A very annoying flaw. Just look at the mention I made of a wampa and the word blanche. That's the annoying flaw I inserted. <laughs> and next I'd just like to mention the names of some folks who have interacted with us on Twitter, who have retweeted our previous episode and interacted with us in other ways as well. Uh, direct messaging, emails, whatnot. And um, I want to say thanks to them for uh, just supporting the podcast. And they are the following fine folks. Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly from Treasury Comics and the Fire and Water Podcast Network, The Stone, I was Joe Crawford, Slangward Scott, Dano Cosmic, Professor Alan Middleton, Jerry and Chris from the Professor Frenzy Show, Comics in the Golden Age, Bronze Age Babies, Karen Walker and the Planet 8 Podcast Crew, Sean and Greg from the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran from Radio vs. the Martians, Dr. Wolfman, Innsmouth Tide, Eddie, Legion and Supergirl blogger Dr. Ange, Irene D. Bassett, Sorceress Strange, Nicole at Mountain Flower, Laurel at Z-Cat Sphere, Paul Matthew Carr from the Collected Edition and the Nexus of All podcast, the Tomb of Ideas podcast, Mono at Invalidus, uh, Peter of the Sanctum Sanctorum blog. Peter, I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name. It could be Piotr. <laughs> I don't know. All New Sucks, The Telltale Mind, and Chris and Reggie from the Cosmic Treadmill podcast. Now, I just want to mention Reddy, Reggie for a brief second here. Reggie's not doing so well. He's had some health problems. He was in the hospital. I'm not sure of his status at the moment. I hope all is well and that you recover soon, Reggie. We love you, bud, and um, we really enjoy, both Billy and myself really enjoy listening to the Cosmic Treadbull podcast that you and Chris are running. It's an amazing show. So get better soon, bud. We're rooting for you. And then I also want to thank our co-founder, Grant Richter. Please check out his new podcast, The Sentinel of Liberty Show, where he discusses all things Captain America. And that is the end of our Nexus of All Reviews and Alice Vagamotto. Before I forget, listeners, if you want to um, engage on a different level with the show, uh, please check out our blog, which is located at www.sinkintotheweird.com. I've posted some images there about the show we, we talked uh, about today, about the material Ghost Rider number one and also assorted other images. And uh, that's another way that you can engage with us. Um, I will include the link in the podcast feed description. So please visit the site and uh, you can also leave messages for us there. Well, Billy, that's it for another episode of Into the Weird. 
I'm just going to leave the listeners with a few uh, contact details that if they want to leave any feedback, they can reach us at sinkintotheweird at gmail.com. Please send us anything. You know, uh, it could be vitriol. It could be criticism. It could, <laughs> could be death threats. No, 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 no. <laughs> we would prefer not to get those. But um, send us something. And then it could even, you know, we, I really want a voice file, Billy. We've never received a voice file. Send mm. us an MP3 or something. Then we can play it on the show. That would be great. You'll be an honorary member of the Allies of Agamotto if you do that, uh, listeners. And then, Billy, uh, where can they reach you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me. Uh, my name's Doc Strange uh, at Billy D underscore Licious, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll definitely. I'm always in the conversations. Anytime it's you know into the weird, long box of darkness. Your Twitter accounts. I'm always floating around out there, and you know, putting out some images and trying to be part of some good conversations out there. Great. And how about your blog, Billy? The ever infamous Magazines and Monsters. Yeah, magazinesmonsters.com. Every Monday morning, usually around 9 a.m. Eastern time here in the U.S., uh, that publishes. And then uh, I did put out a quick little five-minute episode of uh, Magazines and Monsters, a podcast. Just a, a quick little filler till I can get going with the longer episodes where uh, you know, we're going to do some uh, comic book and movie reviews. So that's out there. That was uh, Warlord number one, Mike Grell. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. I still need to listen to that, Billy. And then... Um... They can find you on Facebook as well. You have a Facebook group for Magazines and Monsters, if I'm not mistaken, Billy. Yep, Magazines and Monsters on Facebook. There's a Facebook page there. Just look it up and there's some you know, shenanigans over there too. So awesome. look it up. Well, you can find me, listeners, at Dark Longbox on Twitter. Or you can check out my other podcast, The Longbox of, Longbox of Darkness, um, uh, which focuses only on horror comics. And then, Billy, we'll be back in another two weeks with another show where we're again going to be focusing on that dastardly sorcerer Stephen Strange and I'm hoping the listeners will tune in again it seems that our Doctor Strange episodes are more popular (laughs) if I'm looking at the (laughs) podcast statistics so uh, never fear you Doctor Strange fans out there we'll be back with sorceress shenanigans soon but until then it's uh, goodbye from me and from you Billy Yep. be good to each other out there people Stay weird, read some comics, and we'll be back in two weeks' time. Take care, weird listeners. Goodbye. See ya. to be with